0: It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig
1: Way. Say to this one. And Horns 24 7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports
0: talk in Austin, The Horn. It up on a Wednesday, Wednesday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. We are live, we are local, we are digital on the Horn app and at HornFM.com. I am Jeff Howe. Horns 247 is where you can find my other work on Twitter at Jeff Howe 247. Same thing on Instagram at Jeff Howe 247. Get a little more active on Instagram these days. Craig, way out today. Craig tending to some personal business, but we keep the program rolling along nonetheless. Behind the glass, as he is each and every day, the real MVP of Light the Tower, he is our esteemed producer, the play-by-play prodigy, Cameron Parker. Cameron, thank you so much for getting these Sark cuts and these Rodney Terry cuts taken care of and uploaded from my little trip to Houston last night.
1: Jeff, you did the hard work. You asked the questions, and I have to say, you you dominated both uh, RT and Sark's media availability loss yesterday. I'm proud well, in, of you. In, uh, Joe in res- Cook had nothing on you.
0: In 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 Joe's defense, Joe had talked to both of those coaches more recently than I had. So Joe told me going in, he basically had one question for Sark, and I don't know that Joe had anything for RT. Uh, so I, I had to ask all the questions last night because I needed needed a couple and some answers on a couple things. So, uh, But I appreciate that game, okay. nonetheless. nonetheless. Uh, Specs text line is open 337-3776. We will get to some audio throughout the show from Rodney Terry and from Steve Sarkeesian from the Texas Fight Tour. The last stop on the Texas Fight Tour was last night down in Houston. Uh, I think good time was had by all. Angela Kelly, Steve Sarkeesian, Rodney Terry, Vic Schaefer, Chris Del Conte. By the way, Cam, did you see uh, CDC with the new uh, beach volleyball hire? I got to congratulate the AD on his big beach volleyball hire. He was very, very happy that that sport's headed in the right direction.
1: Has has CDC missed on a hire yet?
0: Well, uh, in terms
1: of head coaches. You know that Mayers as a janitor that he had to let go, but besides the head coaches, it seems like so far. I know it's early returns, but so far, uh, it's been great, great value.
0: I mean, there there is the whole Chris Beard situation, but I don't know how much you can't put any of the way that ended on him. Yeah, so no way you could have seen that coming. But yeah, that's the
1: biggest blemish.
0: I mean, Coach Flow and Track, Mike White, uh, you know promoting Bruce Burke and, and hiring him full-time. Uh, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd say so.
1: Also, a weird situation when Coach Burke happened to step in uh, with another coach ending up in uh, serving some yeah, time. Yeah, Michael Center. Yeah, the yeah. whole
0: uh, admission scandal situation and whatnot.
1: Yeah, and who was the actress in California? Uh, it, was,
0: uh, it was Aunt Becky from Full House. Yes. And yeah. uh, who was the other one? Not Morgan Fairchild. Why am I forgetting her name? Uh, not Nicolette Sheridan either. Felicity Huffman. I, I don't know yeah. why I went to those two first, but yeah, she was involved. In it. I thought there was somebody else, but uh, no ice cream man. nobody asked Sark about the Burger King pants. Uh, I did not ask Sark Sark was wearing a sport coat last night as always, man. Sark Sark is sharp anytime he's out in public. So I did not ask Sark where the Burger King pants were. Family guy uh, family gambling fanatic that yes, uh, got a picture with gambling fanatic last night. Cam, uh, good dude. Uh, didn't take him up on that uh, that drink offer, but uh, I appreciate the offer nonetheless. But yeah, last night was really good. How about Vic Schaefer dropping some scoop that he said either last night or this morning they're expecting some positive news mm. in the women's hoops transfer portal. So okay. got to keep an eye on the Twitter machine.
1: Which is interesting, Jeff, because remember last or two weeks ago, the San Antonio stop when he was asked about the transfer portal. Yeah, he told you guys like it has to be the right person, has to be For the sure. right situation, the right player. And has anyone jumped in the portal lately? Because no one, no one's come across that's been surprising to I'm me. Be so honest, maybe it, it's I'm somewhat... so
0: I'm so consumed with men's basketball yeah. portal that women's basketball portal is and, and plus, you know, baseball is right in the middle of a it's as crazy as this baseball season has been and as disappointing as this baseball season has been. You got Texas headed into the last weekend of the regular season with a chance to win a conference championship. Yeah. So I've had my uh, I've had my attention elsewhere. And, and I, honestly, because I knew spots were so limited for them, I really haven't paid it too much mind. I think the bigger question for Vic Schaefer has been uh, Giselle Mall and Aliyah Moore getting healthy. Yep, uh, that's been that's been the bigger situation. Situation and man, I'm telling you right now, based on the way he keeps talking about Madison Booker, she. You're gonna make that transition from Rory Harmon being the face of the program to Madison Booker being the face of the yeah. program. The way Vic Schaefer talks about her. So, uh, specs text line again is open. We'll take your questions, comments, feedback on anything. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Cam. Overall, last night in Houston, really, really good stop. Uh, anything from Sark or RT really jump out to you as you went through through that audio last night? The Dylan Mitchell. Well, this morning, I don't know. I don't know when you went
1: through it, but last night, watching. Uh... Watching Lakers Nuggets, by the way, uh, great game, great game one. Um, but going through the, the audio, um, it sounds, you kind of mentioned it yesterday in the Longhorn Notebook, Dylan Mitchell, I mean, he's been killing yeah. it at the Combine. It's It really sounds like Mitchell will be gone, which I think you reported on earlier about a month ago, yeah. and then Tyrese Hunter should be back, is what it sounds like.
0: And RT even said last night when they were doing the, the pep rally Q&A part with Lowell Galindo, he Basically said without saying, the expectation is for Tyrese Hunter to come back. So I know people keep asking every day on the specs text line about Tyrese Hunter. I haven't heard anything that tells me he's not coming back, and every indication I've gotten is that he will be coming back. Uh, it's just he's got until the end of the month to announce his decision. May thirty first is the deadline, so he could just take it up all the way to then, build some suspense, or I don't know, maybe he's doing a, a coming back to school video or working on a graphic. I don't I don't know what what the kids are doing these days, but. I would expect Tyrese Hunter to come back, and you know this Texas staff isn't completely done in the portal either. So I would, you know, and and I know I talked about last Wednesday or last Thursday being the death, kind of that where that next wave of guys that they could go after would come from. I think you could be waiting until the end of the month, Cam, once they see. Who stays in the draft, and which of those guys that put their name into the portal, which of those guys are not going to be in the draft? They're not yeah. going to go through with it. So I know, and, and we'll get into that. Uh, we'll we'll play, hear more from Rodney Terry coming up uh, in the second hour of the show, and we'll get into some of the uh, the transfer portal targets and how they've done at the NBA Combine. We'll take a look at that. We'll get into Sark at the uh, at the bottom of the hour in the uh, Longhorn Notebook. Uh, this. That's- well, what's up, Cam? Go he's ahead.
1: After after lottery last night, Jonathan Gavoni from, I believe it's Draft Express and ESPN, um, he's famous for putting Bronny James as number 10 overall in the 2024 uh, mock draft. But his 2023 mock draft last night had Dylan Mitchell going 33rd overall. No Tyrese Hunter. So it seems That's like... That's
0: right around the area where I would expect Dylan Mitchell to go.
1: It felt like then in the season, Mitchell, you know, maybe a late-round second pick, if drafted at all, but he's, he's flying up those draft boards going up those draft boards because of how well he's been competing at the Combine. So hopefully he gets drafted because, I mean, the way he's been shooting, Jeff, we we didn't see that at at Texas at all, but if that's actually a part of his game that's a strength, that's going to be huge for him in the NBA because that's the one thing that was a huge knock this year was where is Dylan Mitchell's offense going to come from? He didn't attempt
0: a three-pointer that year.
1: I don't even remember seeing him out in the three-point past the three-point arc, unless he was setting, like, a screen.
0: Well, and my man Matt Butler made a really good point. We were talking about it yesterday before we recorded Longhorn Blitz. Which, by the way, you can get the Blitz a couple of different ways you can get it. Anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. Subscribe to that for free, to that Horns 24-7 podcast feed. You can get the Blitz whenever it drops. Or tonight on the Horn, 7 o'clock, right after the Flex show, you're going to get the Blitz with myself, Matt Butler, and Rod Babers. Uh, but before we recorded the Blitz yesterday, Matt and I were talking about it. And... With the ability of Jabari Rice and Marcus Carr to shoot the ball, plus how well Brock Cunningham shot it off the bench, along with Dylan DeSue, his emergence and being able to stretch the floor a little bit, at least from a post perspective, you didn't need Dylan Mitchell to be a three-point shooter. First of all, you know, Arterio Morris is still going to get his shots when he comes off the bench. You didn't need him to be a three-point threat, Dylan Mitchell. Plus, in terms of a a vertical threat, he was pretty much all you had in terms of a guy that can go up and catch a lob and finish at the rim. Not to say that your post guys couldn't do it, but that really was a weapon that we saw them utilize to the point where those were the bulk of Dylan Mitchell's shots pretty much from like, I don't know, Cam, what, about two-thirds of the way through conference through the end of the season? It was either going to be like short corner jumpers or he's going to the bucket and catching a lob. Getting something in transition. High percentage shots for Dylan Mitchell.
1: Watch the Nuggets-Lakers last night and seen what Jokic and AD could do from the perimeter. Just maybe wonder, like, why don't more college teams just add that into their offense? Because I, I feel like, obviously, you just mentioned the shooting part, but, I mean, why not have Mil- Mitchell at least tempt a few threes? I mean, we saw Mo Bamba. He would, he would pull up from three a few times during his tenure at Texas. and not maybe even,
0: even though one of the Texas assistant coaches at the time told me Mo Bamba and Dylan Osockowski were going to shoot. 40% plus from three. Yeah, that, didn't, that, that didn't happen, but uh, they were they were capable three-point shooters.
1: Bamba more so over Osakowski.
0: I think, what a Dio shoot that year that I was told that. I think he was like 29%, 28% from three, something like that. Bamba was like around 33, 34, if I remember right. Enjoyed watching have, Dio play basketball. could have that completely wrong.
1: Well, and, and Bamba's shot never developed in the, in the pros, and that's why he's been relegated to just a, a bench dweller Next to Tristan Thompson um, for the Lakers, and Magic just gave up on him. Maybe he'll go somewhere else next year, Jeff, but I think for the three-point shot to develop, especially now in, in today's NBA, I mean, look at DeAndre Ayton on offense, right? He's a he's a pro typical big man you, you want. Defensively, he's sound. He's a big guy. Doesn't have that three-point threat. And the last two postseasons, Ayton's just disappeared, and I think a lot of teams now kind of going away from that threat or going going away from guys who really just can't shoot as well. If if Mitchell can add that to his game and be developed, you know he'll turn into a really nice prospect. But that's, that's why a big
0: the, that's why the Warriors James Wiseman pick at the time like okay you need a big but like it didn't really make sense to yeah. me because there's not a lot and I'm not saying James Wiseman's not a talented basketball player he is there's just not a lot in his game that translates to what the NBA is today. So to me, it didn't make for for a franchise, and this is, this goes to show you, even people that that do this at a high level screw it up. Uh, for a franchise that more often than not makes the right call, there's no they they got that one horrifically wrong,
1: and it, it really hurt them White. this year. Yeah, hurt them this year. I think for for the type of offense, I don't think the Wiseman pick made any sense. And and what really hurts is that they could have taken Tyrese Halliburton there, who now looking at the team this year, Halliburton off the bench as as a Ooh. second guard threat because Jordan Poole, I don't know where he's at. He's been missing. Klay Thompson's probably on the downturn of his career. Having having Halliburton there would have been great for uh, some revisionist history. But overall, yeah, just uh, a pick for the Warriors. And the Kaminga, who obviously Steve Kerr just does not trust as well. Last, yeah. two, last two picks for Warriors, it looked like these are going to be the two picks that are going to carry the Warriors into – uh, another part of their dynasty the post Steph Curry era, and now it looks like Wiseman and probably Kaminga won't even be on the roster
0: next year. Uh, Wiseman, I definitely don't know. Wiseman's not on the roster right now, yeah, is he?
1: Yeah, no. He's on the, he that's plays with Detroit. That's what but Kaminga, yeah. they traded Wiseman this year, and I, I would think Kaminga will be traded because he has probably the most trade value on that team outside of Steph Curry.
0: Well, um, I'm sure Spurs fans, how many Spurs fans do you think called into work today?
1: Oh, Would well, you see got the bars that, that paid for all their drinks last night? Got
0: that brown bottle flu going on. And now, dude. so
1: have you already called Webnyama the most overrated prospect? Is that no, going to be?
0: I did, I did okay. text you and Craig last yes. night. I said it was very nice of the NBA to throw the most overrated city in our state. Above. Wow. San Antonio is the most overrated city in Texas, dude. It's not even close. It's not even close. I'll debate that with anybody that wants to. But, man, like, you think about teams that are – Right, and like the Spurs are not even anywhere close to consistently being in the lottery, but like if you get a David Robinson like that in and of itself, that's like a once in a lifetime type deal to win the lottery, get the number one pick, and take David Robinson, a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, for a lot of different reasons, the greatest spur of all time. That that'd be one thing, but then you get Tim Duncan, you know, and 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 the, two years later, the reason they got Tim Duncan. Was I, I, th- I thought about this last night on my drive back from Houston? Right, like if you think about how the Spurs franchise, how they basically built this dynasty, it really starts with the David Robinson pick. But you got to remember, he had to finish fulfilling his military obligation with the Navy, so that still allowed you to be bad enough to yeah, add a piece like Sean Elliott, and, and you were able to to add some different pieces. So that way, by the time David Robinson got there, and I say David Robinson, I call David Robinson the greatest Spur ever because to me, David Robinson saved basketball in San Antonio. With his presence.
1: And, and not his, not and pop him, or RC.
0: No, I I don't you I don't think you would have you if you would have had Pop and R. C. it wouldn't have been in San Antonio if it hadn't been for David Robinson. That's that's just my opinion. So then you fast forward and David Robinson has a knee injury during that uh, the the 97 season, and you were terrible. And everybody assumed that's why Rick Pitino took the Celtics job. That's why he left Kentucky to take the Celtics job because the Celtics were the worst team in the league and they thought they were going to win the lottery and get Tim Duncan. And the Spurs won the lottery. And I'm like, wow, when the heels getting David Robinson, now you get Tim Duncan. So now you're going to get a healthy David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Wow, I guess the Spurs suckage was just for one year. And then we know what happened then. And now it's like they start the tanking. And what are the Spurs, like year two or year three of this, what was supposed to be a, a prolonged rebuild? Now you get a guy that, for Woj and other people that have a pulse on the NBA, to call this kid the greatest prospect entering the draft yep. that they've ever seen. Yep. That they've ever seen.
1: For for every sport. He said for every sport. He didn't say just basketball. He LeBron, said for every sport.
0: Bryce Harper, Trevor Lawrence, go down the list. This, this, is, this is the guy. And for you to win the lottery for a third time, it's just, man, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. Uh, my man Mike Finger from the San Antonio Express News uh, columnist, Mike does a really good job. I thought Mike. Uh, that's why I retweeted it. I thought he put it very eloquently on Twitter last night. More luck than a basketball city ever could deserve in a million years. Like, you hit the jackpot once as a franchise and you're eternally grateful. Dude, you hit it three times? And my, bro- my brother was texting me because my if there's anybody that doesn't like the Spurs, that has more dislike for the Spurs than I do, it's my brother. And uh, he said, maybe this guy will be a bust. I'm like, dude. Unless he's got like Greg Oden's knees and Bill Walton's feet, there's no chance that happens. Like he's 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 gonna be that good.
1: The only way he'd be a bust is if Charlotte won the win the lottery and drafted him. That's the only way they would have been a bust he would have been a bust.
0: Like when I when I heard when I first heard Victor Wimbenyama come on the scene and people started talking about him, they're like, Well, he's uh he's built he, he he can get to the basket and he's about as physical in traffic as Giannis and he shoots it like Kevin Durant. I'm like Okay, then he's the greatest prospect Mm -hmm. ever. Yeah, and sure enough, now like you said, Cam people are calling him the greatest prospect ever.
1: Did you see the cameras in his whatever room he was watching back in Paris, France? Do you see his head touching the freaking ceiling of where he's at? I mean, he's listed at seven foot two. I've heard that he's most likely seven foot four, and they just kind of you know kind of like Kevin Durant's actually seven seven foot seven one. He's listed at six eleven. I. What he does, i mean if you have not watched any YouTube videos of him yet, just on your lunch break or some time watch a couple mixtapes of him because he he looks like a two k creator player
0: <laughs> yeah for real mine would have been n b a live back in the day okay cat's got an eight foot wingspan eight feet cam eight feet and he he's only he's, eighteen he's got an he's got an unblockable shot like it's 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 un it is unfreaking believable, like how good this kid could be. And, yeah, and, and yes, um, yeah. The, all, all the Spurs fans are, are chiming in saying, "I do sound like a jaded Mavs fan uh, sitting on the greatest international player." Yeah, the Mavericks did get Luka Doncic, and I'm very happy that the Mavericks have Luka. But you won the lottery jackpot three times. You've won it three times now, Spurs fans. That is an insane amount of luck. Why shouldn't I be jealous? Why shouldn't I hate on that a little bit? Spurs, Spurs fans don't it you've got to go back like to the to the mid 80s, the mid to late 80s to find the last time Spurs fans truly knew despair and hopelessness. Mavs fans get into that cycle every like I don't know 10 12 years. You get in that cycle where it's like, dude, this is this is going to suck for a long time.
1: I'm just glad Houston didn't win. That, that's all I have to say. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Rockets, not a big fan of the organization. If Houston would have won the lottery, that, that was probably ranking the teams of where I would least likely to see Webb and Yama end up. I think Houston was at number one for Dude,
0: me. I was watching the thing at j Barbecue for the Texas Fight Tour last night with a bunch of Rockets fans. There were two reactions. One, when the Rockets got the fourth pick, it was silence. Like, just nothing. No complaint. Just shocked silence. Yeah. And then... <laughs> when the Spurs, when they realized the Spurs won the lottery, when the Hornets card got revealed, it was the the consensus reaction from Rockets fans was anybody but them. Yeah, it, it could have been anybody but them. So yeah, so the two Texas franchises are yeah. Gambling fanatic, the Mavs got the tenth pick. Uh, Cam, we had a mock draft. We got a, a, a new, I know our guys at twenty four seven Sports, uh, Adam Finkelstein and our guys over there did an, did a mock draft right after the lottery um pulling it up the uh internet yeah i am from florence and i will throw shade on san antonio the riverwalk sucks the mexican food is overpriced and overrated uh and it's probably other than austin the worst set of uh drivers in the uh the worst group of drivers in the state without question
1: oh is that true i don't know about that jeff
0: i said other than austin okay said, thank, than thank you austin. for clarifying thank you for yeah, clarifying i can't do some people in this town oh uh, let's see the Mavs at ten. Taylor Hendricks from UCF. Good prospect. Yeah, it's not bad. Could be worse. Can't be worse. They got the whole Kyrie thing to figure out and sort out and see what they're going to do there. But.
1: Well, the reports that came in last night or this morning was that Mavericks are trying to move off the tenth pick.
0: Yeah, because I don't as good a prospect as you could get there. Clearly, if you bring Kyrie back, you're not in. Well, let's, let's let this thing go down the road two, three years. And especially with Luca's contract situation, you, you, the, the the sand is trickling to the bottom of the hourglass. So you're you a matter, you, right? Yeah, you got to put something on the floor that can win now.
1: What about Chris Paul and Ayton to Dallas next year? Would you like that? No, really,
0: no. Okay, what? Because what's DeAndre Ayton going to do? And tell me the last time Chris Paul either sh- literally showed up or figuratively showed up for a big game.
1: So you're you're cool with re-signing Kyrie and running it back and just hopefully they figure it out. I would
0: I would rather yes, if I'm if I was giving advice to to Nico Harrison and Mark Cuban, that would be my advice. I would rather roll the dice with Kyrie Irving than see what you can get out of broken down Chris Paul. Interesting. That that's that's less of confidence in Kyrie as opposed to where I think Chris Paul is at this point in his career.
1: Cuz I I think Chris Paul would be great. Alongside, I think Luca needs kind of that point guard, and especially in this oh, part a, a of a healthy, Paul's.
0: a healthy Chris Paul. Yeah, but once you get to you know your mid, thir- your early to mid thirties, and your body starts breaking down, that thing typically doesn't go back the other direction. You don't suddenly just start having healthy seasons. Yeah. So I no, I would I would run the Kyrie experiment back another year rather than go for Chris Paul.
1: I'm off Kyrie. I, I think trading for him, I know why Cuban did it, why Nico Harrison did it, I think just a disaster. Because for me, what has Kyrie done in the playoffs since LeBron James? It was nothing.
0: It, because, because he's coming back for another year and because if, if Kyrie has, it, trust me, what I'm about to say is a loaded sentence, if Kyrie Irving has any sense about him, he will understand that he is running out of opportunities to be a legitimate a piece that you could legitimately build a contender around. So maybe you get really good basketball from Kyrie Irving. But so I understand why they did it. That's why it's not after going through the Rajon Rondo experiment as a Mavs fan, <laughs> dude. I'm I'm pretty much willing to try anything at this point. Uh, there is after the Rondo experiment, there is no bad idea, Cam. There really is no bad idea. And the in the first DeAndre Jordan summer that there's no there's no bad scenario that can happen. Like that was the last time as a Mass fan that I truly felt despair. I was I was mowing my grass when De, uh, Deandre Jordan allegedly signed, and it's Mark Cuban and Chandler Parsons and they're partying out in California, and then you start seeing. It's almost like I don't want to make this sound too morbid, but it's almost like you know when people follow police scanners on Twitter. I was almost following tweets the night that. Basically, the whole Clippers staff and players had a big lock in with DeAndre Jordan and basically wouldn't leave his house until he reneged on his Mavericks deal. Mm-hmm. And just following that in real time, that, that was, as a Mavericks fan, that was the last time I felt true despair. I'm like, dude, this. Because at that point, it was like you'd sign Wes Matthews coming off an Achilles. Yeah. Even Cuban was like, dude, if you want out of this contract, we'll let you out. I'm like, man, this, this is going to be bad and it's going to be bad for a while.
1: I had a friend who, during that entire saga when Jordan left the States, I forget which Caribbean island he was, but I had a friend who was down there for vacation. And DeAndre Jordan was there with his agent during this whole fiasco, just trying to get away from, from the States. Mark Cuban pulled up all the stops for DeAndre Jordan, which I think yeah. tells you all you need to know. Kyrie Irving, by the way, unrestricted free agent going into this season. Depending on what happens with the Lakers, Jeff, I, I could see LeBron trying to angle and, and trying to sign Kyrie because after Austin Reeves' performance last night, how good Rhea, Rui Hachimaras looked, Lakers are going to gonna have a different roster next season. So yeah. I'm curious if Dallas wants to pay Kyrie that money. But I mean, you're starting to run out of time here with Luka Doncic, right, before he starts entering maybe the unhappy part of his superstar career.
0: And th- this scenario that just came through on the Specs text line, Miles Turner for the 10th pick, flip picks in the second round, bring back Seth Curry. First of all, I don't know why the Mavericks got rid of Seth Curry in the first place. Second of all, dude, if you if you told me you could flip the 10th pick for Miles Turner right now, I would have done that yesterday.
1: I don't think Indiana says yes, though.
0: No, I don't think there's any way they do, no. But, all right, we talked a lot of NBA. we got to talk Texas football next. Get to some Steve Sarkeesian audio from the last stop on the Texas Fight Tour last night in Houston. I was down there got some time with sark asked a few questions we'll get to that audio coming up next here on light the tower on the horn live local and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com craig way and jeff howe light the tower craig's not here today uh I've done a good job of angering Spurs fans already based on the feedback we've gotten on the text yep. line, so proud of myself for that. That was the objective, and the objective has been met. Cam, did you catch any of uh, Mark Henry on B&E this morning?
1: I did not. I was walking in. I saw a very large human in the studio. I was like, that has to be Mark Henry.
0: Have you, have you met Mark before? I have not. Oh, man, we got to make that happen.
1: But I'm not big on the, the pro wrestling so, I know you are. So, if I if I was, then I'd probably be a huge Mark Henry fan, right? a-
0: AEW is at the Moody Center tonight. Um, so, uh, I, I'm thinking about going. I heard there's yeah. tickets still available. I'm thinking about going. Dude, telling you. And I, I don't watch it near as much as I, I have at previous points in my life. But when I do happen to catch AEW, either, you know, I'll catch it flipping through channels on a Wednesday night or a Friday night or uh, see some YouTube clips or whatever. Dude. MJF is the best thing going in pro wrestling right now. No, Maxwell Jacob Friedman.
1: Is that AEW? Yes. So
0: he is he is the most entertaining draw in pro wrestling right now.
1: Explain to, explain to me like I'm 5 the difference between WWE and AEW. It's just two different promotions. Okay, that's yeah. it.
0: Just like WWF and WCW back in the day. Yeah. Just two just two different promotions. That's all.
1: And McMahon is in charge of well, WWE. no,
0: because uh, uh Endeavor owns WWE now.
1: Okay. So he's just like an analyst or whatever?
0: He's a No, he's got some kind of senior dude. So maybe, he, was,
1: he, he got removed because of the sexual assault and then he, and then he, he came he back. He basically
0: finagled his way back yeah. in and then sold it. So they sold the company to Endeavor, which I think the new with U, UFC and WWE under the same umbrella, I think they're going to be – I think the TKO group is what I saw okay. yesterday. Yeah. I think is what the name of the new company is going to be.
1: So, I will say – WWE provides great GIFs on the text threads that I use. The Shawn Michaels, the, the I'm sorry one, as he's about to, what is it?
0: <laughs> it's a super kick Ric Flair.
1: Yeah, that that's a great one. Um, Vince McMahon walking out of the tunnel. The Bill Belichick one where, you know, the kid with his hands out. Whoop! Yeah. Whoop! Lo- love, love the GIFs. What was that again? The Bill Belichick
0: one. You know, where. No, he walk- just do the sound. What was it The whoop! Okay, don't don't hurt your throat. You got Round Rock baseball to call. I do. And by the way, somebody texted in uh, wanted to know if they tuned in an hour or two. They wanted a, I don't know. They wanted a great. Uh, they wanted to know if they could turn tune in during hour two and get a Round Rock, I guess a Round Rock Westlake preview or recap something. Let me see if I can find that.
1: Text. Yeah, flex segment. Flex thirty. That'll be what eleven thirty. So tune in then. We'll, we'll give you some little yeah, baseball. Here it is.
0: Hey Cam, if I tune back in for hour two, will we get Round Rock Westlake reminder? Will Socorro get the start?
1: Yeah, we'll go ahead and answer that question eleven right? thirty, right? Uh, Lex thirty.
0: Yeah, sure. We'll get to that. I'll, I like this text, Jeff. You're great talking about Texas football, but stick to that. You know nothing about the NBA, sir. No, I I just I just don't like the Spurs. So that's all. Hey, hey it, it, I at least at least I'm honest about it, Spurs fans. At least you don't have to worry about me trying to. You know, do this under cloak and dagger. I'm, I'm letting you know out front that I, I dislike your favorite team. So It's cool. We just get it out there. We talk about it. It's fine. We'll deal with it. But yeah, we'll talk about Texas football. As a matter of fact, we'll do that right now in the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Alright, so as I said, last night I was down in Houston uh, for the Texas Fight Tour stop. We'll get to some Rodney Terry stuff and we'll probably go top of hour number one. We might get to a couple other start cuts and we'll do Rodney Terry at hour two for sure. But uh, I want to get to a couple of these and We'll start off with, Cam, we'll just start off with cut one right here. Uh, I've heard various people and some of my colleagues in the media try to kind of psychoanalyze Sark throughout these presentations. And I, I will say this about Steve Sarkeesian. You you know we and and a lot of this we can go revisionist history on Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, but let's be honest like both of those coaches they had strengths and they had weaknesses, and we talked about some of Sark's weaknesses and areas where he needs to improve. But I think unquestionably, one of Sark's Sark's biggest strengths, and, and no, without without a doubt, he's the best Texas football coach since Mac Brown to being able to do this, and maybe even Mac pre twenty ten. Sark does an incredibly good job of reading the room and understanding what group of people he's addressing and the kind of message that they need to hear. I've heard Sark at these kind of pep rally type events before, and it is gonna, he is going to express a little more confidence and maybe give the impression that he's puffing his chest out a little bit and that he's excited about his team. I've also heard him address a room full of high school football coaches where that is just strictly – He's talking he's just talking ball with coaches and you don't you get you see a different side of Sark and I've also heard him in you know banquet type settings or uh you know social events where it's it's so Sark just does an incredible job of reading the room and I think people have tried to read into the confidence level he's expressed in the team so cam will uh, get to this cut number one. what's led to him expressing this kind of confidence in in the team and how does he perceive? How he's being viewed in these on these Texas fight tour stops.
2: I try to be honest and transparent. You know, I try to just talk about the things that are, that we're focused on and what we're doing. I try to talk about the strengths of our team and you know what, what we're trying to lean into, and, and then you know, areas where we need to improve. And you know, I'm not it's not trying to be boastful. I'm just trying to. I feel pretty good about our team. We've got plenty of work to do. Um, but from where we've been from January to this point, the roster we have, the staff continuity, um, the culture that we've, that we've developed, the depth at position groups, those are, those are all really good things to, to have in your program. Then we've got to put it all together. Right, That's the next phase of this thing. But um, I, feel, I feel good about the team and the, and the team we have and just the structure of the organization, the people that are in place.
0: So we've had Gambling Fanatic and a few other regular textures to the show have mentioned, they, whether it was Houston or San Antonio, either the DFW stops, that they've been able to get out to some of these events and hear Sark. And, and my question for Sark was I followed up on that and just asked him, okay, for if you're a Texas fan that comes out to one of these events, if you're Steve Sarkisian, what do you hope a fan leaves here in terms of what is their perception of how he views this team and what does he hope fans take away from these texas fight tour stops
2: you know in the end i think one these are these are great events you know i mean i think everybody can feel the idea that hey football's next right Right. that that's that's what's next kind of on the calendar and we've still got a few months till we get there but hey we've got a great fan base and we appreciate the support they give us uh on and off the field, and I want them, A, to to know that, how much we appreciate them, and, B, that hopefully they they get excited about the team we have and and what our guys are doing, not just on the field, but kind of what they're doing off the field. That's why I try to mention some of the things that a Roshan Johnson does or a Jordan Winnington's doing. Those guys that are – I want to highlight them, too. Um, It's easy to talk about the the guys that are the All-Americans and things, but sometimes I try to give them some things that maybe they wouldn't know. Uh, if you're not around us every
0: day. All right, so Cam, I want to go to cut four. And there were a couple of the questions we got on the Specs text line. I, I was, you know, you've got to figure out a tactful way to ask questions. And and sometimes, look, sometimes you do need to ask hard questions, and hard questions need to be asked. But I think there's a tactful way to to ask some of the questions that popped up yesterday that, that you uh, folks were concerned about or wanted to hear Sark address. And I asked him about you know, going back because from, from being an offensive coordinator to in 2021, a role he hadn't been in since early 2015 of being the head coach and the play caller on offense. Where when you're an offensive coordinator, you can be tunnel visioned, you're just worried about your focus on, on that side of the ball. So I asked sark about his adjustment there. And you might hear him start to kind of venture off, but I think he he brings it around and it kind of comes full circle. And what I took from it, how I interpreted this camp, and after this cut, you tell me if I'm right or wrong. I think this was Sark talking about being able to play last year as the year went on, feeling like they were better positioned to play complementary football than they were at any point in 2021. And I think that, for Sark, probably made the most difference. But here's Sark talking about adjusting from year one to year two, his growth, his development, getting back into that chair of being both the head coach and the play caller on offense.
2: I think there was a lot of layers to it. I mean, like like I touched on, you know, the the offensive side was very – Seamless, you know, just because of my continuity with with Coach Flood, with Coach Banks, with Coach Milwee, you know, systematically, you know, we were really, we were really in a groove that way. Um, but when you start talking about the defensive side of the ball, that communication, what that looks like, not only on game day, but from the day-to-day standpoint, uh, being in tune with special teams, being in tune with your depth chart, the amount of reps, who's playing what, when, and how. Um, those were all things that um, I felt comfortable with. But naturally, when you go into year two, uh, there's a sense of really knowing the system defensively, really knowing the, coaching, the coaches, their temperament, uh, how to communicate with them on a daily basis as well as on game day Um, and then dealing with your players you know you're still learning the players as you go and again my job is to motivate people to try to do the the best that they can do whatever their best is I'm trying to get them as close to the best every day that we go out there and that takes time and learning people to get to that point
0: here's my thing on on head coaches being play callers whether you know like it, it works both ways like Gary Patterson What's do call the defensive signals for TCU so, so to me it works both ways and this was one of my problems with the way Tom Herman handled it where uh, you kind of dabble in it but you're, you're talking about uh, what's the term he always uses a collaborative effort and you know you might take it over for this game or whatever I man if you're gonna be a head coach and a play caller and this is what I would tell Texas A&M fans about Jimbo Fisher if you're gonna be the head coach and a play caller on either side of the ball you The old Mac Brown line that I love. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You've either got to be all in or you've got to be about as hands off as you can be. Now, depending on what side of the ball where you have your expertise, the buck is going to stop with you. You have veto power, but you've either got to take it over yourself with an understanding of this is how I want the offense to run and this is how I want our football team to float. If we're going to play complimentary football, this is how it's going to be. Or you need to hire a play caller that you really trust to where the only thing you have to do is say, hey we need to burn some clock here, or we need to reserve the right to punt, or we need to make sure we get a first down. Whatever the case is, in terms of situational football, managing the clock, things that a head coach has to do and be responsible for, that's when you interject yourself. So I don't have a problem with Sart calling the plays. I just think we saw the byproduct last year, why things looked so much better and why the on-field product improved. I think a lot of it had to do, Cam, with just the defense not being the – cluster you know what that it was in 2021 just with guys trying to get on the same page and feel each other out and figure out okay what is this guy's tendency on game day and how do we communicate throughout the week and formulating a game plan things that the offensive staff was by and large for the most part familiar with that defensive other than pk and jeff choate none of those guys had done that together before
1: there was a lot of growing pains in that first year a lot of growing There's pains on both sides of the ball and it was frustrating to watch as a, as a texas fan year two there were still you know some struggles but a lot of it I think was just because of the talent and the lack of depth on the team not because of coaching mistakes not because of uh, errors on the on the defensive side of the ball and, and from coaching I feel like coaching got better in year two it felt like those those growing pains kind of went away and I feel like this year is where Stark really needs to take that step up there's a lot of there's a big crowd about hey take away the play calling from Stark the coach shouldn't make the play calls thinking about the 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 three out of, out of the Top five best coaches in the NFL, right? The the five best. If you, three of those: Kyle Shanahan, he calls the plays, right? Mm-hmm. Mike McDaniel's, he calls the plays, right? Sean McVay, he calls the plays, and won a Super Bowl. So it's very doable. And if you notice, who does Sark talk to a lot during the off season, and who is he close with? Sean McVay. He, he loves and the Kyle guys Shanahan. from that
0: tree. The 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 Shanahan tree. Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt Lafleur. Uh, and if you've heard Rod talk about it, Rod, Rod's talked about it on Ball Online. I know he's talked about it on the Blitz. If you want to study Sark's offense and what it would look like at the pro level, because uh, Rod, Rod studies the NFL a lot more than I do, go watch Matt LaFleur's offense in Green Bay based on personnel groupings, based on formations, based on style of play. A lot of what Matt LaFleur does, you see a lot of that mm-hmm. with what Sark does. There's a lot of stuff that jives with them. I do want to save uh, – Cut three, Kim. I want to save that for the next hour because I want to devote more time to it. But on that on that, that topic of things getting better, by the end of the year, now look, I know, I know there was a big second-half lead lost against Texas Tech. There was a big second-half lead lost against Oklahoma State. But may, I think if you're looking for, and I don't, I don't want to say silver lining because that's not it, but if you're looking for maybe the point where this program started to maybe take that turn was the Baylor game. And as Sartre talks about in this cut, just finding a way to win. But one of those games where it's, it's we talked about the thing that needs to turn around. And I, I think this is the big thing for me, the over, overarching theme for me in 2023. And there's a lot of tentacles that reach out from it. But in those tight games, those one possession games in the second half, is this staff capable of giving you the kind of schematic advantage you need to be able to get over the top in some of those games? And I asked Sark specifically about the Baylor game because that wasn't necessarily schematic advantage as much as it was a coach looking at a situation and say, look, if we're going to win this game, this is how we're going to have to do it and start getting better as the game goes on at identifying trends, identifying patterns, adjusting things accordingly, and making the right decisions from there. So I asked him about the Baylor game, but he mentioned another game that I didn't necessarily wasn't top of mind for me in the moment, but it makes sense. And this is Sark on how much confidence, how, how much this program needed the confidence from winning a game like they won beating Baylor in the, at the end of the regular season.
2: I thought it was it was a good win because we found a way to win and I think a lot of times when you're playing good good people and good teams you have to find a way to win the game and you got to make those necessary adjustments in game to make that happen and we weren't throwing the ball great that night. And we ended up, I think, running it 22 straight times, and we found a way to win. And that's not how every game's going to go. Um, but I thought that was the most important message to our guys, is one, instilling the belief that they can, um, but two, finding a way to win. And um, that's ultimately what it's about. I, I go to the Kansas State game as well. You know, That was a hard-fought game. We found a way to win the game. We found a way to get a turnover at a critical moment. Like That's what really good teams do. And that's why I say I felt like we made a lot of progress in that we didn't find a way to do that in year 1 and we found a way to do it in a couple games in year 2. Hopefully that starts to become more of the norm.
0: That's that's what the hope should be and I think Cam you and anybody listening to this who's a Texas fan, I think that's what you hope happens going forward is that that's the start of this program understanding what it takes just find a way there are no style points at this point. Just find a way to get the win. At the end of the day, it either counts in one column or the other. It doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that you do get there and that you put it, put the tally in the correct column at the end of the day.
1: Texas was 3-4 and four in one-score games last year, and eventually that'll flip. Remember Tom Herman's first I think year? I
0: Sark's first year where were 1-5 yeah. or yeah, something like that.
1: Just, just getting better. It's getting a little bit better, and usually one year if a team has a lot of one-score losses, the next year it'll flip. Now you could argue the last two years is just kind of getting – Sark getting his feet underneath them and kind of rebuilding the roster. I mean, same thing with Tom Herman's first year. How many games were three-point losses, five-point losses, six-point losses, and what happened in the next couple of years, they they became a, a nine-win team, right? I think for Sark, there's going to be a big jump. There should be a big jump from year two to year three, Jeff. T-
0: typically, from one year to the next, the trend, how, your trend in one-score games typically goes the other yes. way. That was the problem with the Tom Herman area is you just lived there too often. Yeah, you lived in in one score territory too often. The hope is that with your talent and schematic advantages advantages in both those areas that you can not play in as many one score games. I got a feeling that's going to change when you go into the SEC because every week is going to be a dogfight. Yeah, but if you can just play fewer of those, they're basically coin flip games. So if you, basically if you can go from playing six to eight of those to maybe three or four and you split those now you're looking at 9 10 win seasons and with an expanded college football playoff especially the league you're going into now you're talking about competing for conference championships and dude if you're competing for a championship in that conference you're you're competing for the whole deal
1: i want to bring in the nba real quick in this jeff the miami heat playing the conference finals this season in in crunch time games they had the best record and they played the most games but they had the best record and that's how they got to the Eastern Conference Finals as a team that barely even made the playoffs. And for Texas, I think finding ways to win, right, in those tough situations makes the team better. It was a pretty young team last year, right? You had a freshman quarterback. Your Besides B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson and Jay Witt, your offensive line and most of your wideouts were, were pretty young guys, right? Your, your defense, sure, you had a couple of key guys, but you, you relied on a lot of young guys in the secondary at times going into this season, it's probably the most experienced team Sark has had. It's without a doubt the most experienced team in his philosophy, and his system that he's ever had. Yeah. So usually usually that will yield better results, Jeff, but maybe I'm just drinking too much Kool-Aid.
0: No, but I do think the other thing that helps Sark, too, that Charlie Strong and, and even Tom Herman didn't have this kind of advantage, it wasn't as prolific as it is now with the one-time transfer exception, the ability Sark has had to get into the portal and, and whatever gaps you have in the talent pipeline through attrition to be able to fill those through the portal. Uh, this roster is in a – I feel like it's on much more solid ground than either of the two previous head coaches going into year three. Or even if you look at Mac, uh, kind of that post-2010 season, if you look at 2011 being the first year of that rebuild, going into the 2013, if you take Mac's team in 2013 – Charlie's team in sixteen, Tom Herman's team in nineteen. I think Sark's roster in twenty-three, which by the way, that was ten years ago that we're talking about that Mac Brown season. So I just showed you this perpetual cycle this program has been in. But I digress. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough time left in the broadcast year to get through all that. But if you look at all those rosters, the four rosters, there's no question Sark's is on a better foundation. And part of it is they've done a really good job of recruiting. We have seen some player development for once. And They've made re- They've had misses in the portal. Don't get me wrong. Jaleel Billings, Leah Jai Hall, they've had misses. But they've had more hits than they've had misses in the mm-hmm. portal. So uh, we gotta, we got to cut it off right there. We'll get to some more of this Sark audio in the second hour. But coming up next, Inconceivable, a Cameron Parker-led Inconceivable. Coming up next here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital, on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Inconceivable inconceivable you keep
2: using the word I don't think it means what you think it means
0: I almost took a nap during that top of the hour break good lord it was long how long was that thing Uh, probably about six minutes Jeez, seriously I almost dozed off here anyway uh, it is a Cameron Parker production in inconceivable today how about Cameron stepping up being a part of the presentation in a big way what you got Cam you got a twofer right
1: Two things, uh, both in the sports world. Jeff, does the date June 15th, 2005 stand out to you for any reason?
0: June 15th, 2005. Hmm. Off the top of my head, no, but when you say it, I'll probably, it'll probably trigger something.
1: There was a regular season baseball game between the Florida Marlins and the Chicago Cubs. In that game, the, the Marlins won 15 to 5 over the Cubs. Batting third was future Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera, right? Okay. Now he faced off against rookie Rich Hill.
0: Yes. Familiar in, with Rich Hill?
1: In today's game between the Tigers and the Pirates, Rich Hill is getting the start and he will pitch against Miguel Cabrera nearly 20 years later. That's awesome. In Rich Hill. Had a great year for the Red Sox last year. He played in 26 games as over 40 years old. A lot of people talking about Brady and LeBron James. How about Rich freaking Hill? Still delivering at 43 years old. Shout out to Rich Hill. Hasn't had the same success this year, but still a solid 5.02 ERA. I mean, he's a better pitcher than some guys the Phillies have who are much, much younger. So... If you're watching that game today, for whatever reason, Miguel Cabrera, Rich Hill. No, it's not 2005, Jeff. It's 2023.
0: Rich Hill, man.
1: That was that, that was insane. Miggy's third year in the league, and Hill was a rookie. And now, here we are, and what is possibly most likely, I believe, Cabrera's last year. But Rich Hill, he's still going strong. He might. Uh, he might. Who was who was the fat guy from the Mets? <laughs>
2: Bar- Bart-
0: Cologne. Bartolo Yeah.
1: On. He might he might be pitched, who knows cuz Big Sexy Big Sexy isn't he still pitching in like uh, Peru or something uh, some Mexican uh, b- league. Uh, big
0: Bart might be if he is then we need to find need to find a record of what He he's he doing better
1: right be in the Hall of Fame. That's all I have to say. Big oh, Sexy Oh no, he
0: retired in back in August. Uh,
1: at what? 40 43? 42? Uh,
0: Bartolo Colon is forty. How about forty-nine?
1: Wow, forty-eight years old.
0: He was pitching in the Dominican League during the, the during the winter, and that was that was it for for Big Sexy.
1: He was probably a part of those three or four massive brawls at the plate with Yaziel Puig. I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm getting too old for this. I mean, <laughs> one punch and I might be dead. But that wraps up the baseball saga.
0: Okay, Jeff. Good you've stuff been,
1: you've been following the John Morant stuff.
0: Yes, I actually purchased a John Morant rookie card last night against my better judgment. I don't trust me. I didn't spend too much money. It's only about twenty bucks. I
1: thought you were going to say John Morant handgun for a second. I'm no, I don't. I don't
0: believe he has an endorsement deal for that yet. But who knows?
1: He might. Um, so I'm sure you're you're well aware of his infatuation with guns, firearms, and firearms, and going on Instagram live, and going to the club, and flashing his nipples, and flashing his piece, other piece. Not the, sure what's going. Not the stainless sure, steel piece. Stainless, yes, yes. Thank you. Okay. Not sure what's going on there. He was already had a, a suspension in the middle of the season. Now, now it's talks of maybe 50 games. I'm hearing Christmas. Mm. It's going to be a lengthy suspension. Yeah. So yesterday, Jeff, he released, he finally spoke out and released an apology. This was his statement. I know I've disappointed a lot of people who have supported me. This is a journey and I recognize there's more work to do. My words may not mean much right now, but I take full accountability for my actions. I'm committed to continuing to work on myself. So, pretty standard, standard apology, right? Yeah. Now, are you familiar with Chat GPT?
0: Yes, I am. I figured this is where you were going. All
1: right. So, if you go to Chat GPT, which is a AI chat box, you can type in something, and the the AI will come back with a response. If you go to Chat GPT and type in "make an apology paragraph." that you got caught again this is the response from Chat GPT Jeff <laughs> I deeply know I've disappointed a lot of people who have supported me this is a journey and I recognize there is more work to do my words may not mean, mean much right now but I take full accountability for my actions I'm committed <laughs> to continuing to work on myself huh where did we just hear that from from jaw Morant
0: ja. ja. Not not ideal sir
1: Oh, my goodness, Jeff. Chat GPT for your apology? This man, he, I, I don't know. He does not care at all about this what, is what This doing. is
0: what happens when you start letting the robots take over. What yep. have I been warning everybody about? The war's going to pop off. John Morant's finding out those things are not very forgiving.
1: Nope. And I'm sure Adam Silver in the NBA won't be very forgiving either.
0: Good stuff, Cam. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for Inconceivable. We're already into hour number two, but we'll start it in earnest. Coming up next here on At The Tower, On The Horn, live, local and digital, on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.